The title of my sermon is Come to the Light. The big idea, the God who rules over his people by his word for the purpose of fellowship is the source of light and life. We're just we're adding to that big idea each week. So again, the God who rules over his people by his word for the purpose of fellowship, we could say through sacrifice, is the source of light and life. Let me pray once more, and then I'll, I'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, I admit I am a sinner saved only by your grace. So thankful for that reminder in Ephesians 2 this morning, that though I was dead in Christ, I am now alive, and that is the call, that is the celebratory call that we rejoice in today as believers. We, we gather because of that good news that though we were dead in Christ, we are now alive. I, I pray, Father, that you would help me to be faithful to the text, that what was clearly intended by the Spirit of God who inspired this word, that we'd grasp that together this morning, that Holy Spirit, you would work through your word, apply it deep into the recesses of our hearts, change us, by your word, make us, Father, more like your Son. I pray that all of us would come this morning hungry, that we would come with great expectation, that we would come excited to hear from your word. We praise you, we bless you, and in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Um, when you come home at night and see lights on, what does that indicate? Somebody's home, and hopefully somebody you know, right? Uh, someone's home, and not only that, but someone's up. And I'm especially fond of this when I come home late from a meeting. It means that Haley is up, and possibly some of our kids. It means that we get to spend time together and enjoy each other's fellowship. A major theme, and I hope you've been paying attention, but a major theme that we've seen time and time again in the book of Exodus is what? It's the presence of the Lord with his people. It's fellowship with God. Now, the golden lampstand and the tabernacle declares this wonderfully glorious truth. The Lord is with his people in fellowship. And not only that, but the Lord's presence means light and life for his people as conveyed by the golden lampstand. Now again, you may be new uh, the tabernacle, you're like, oh man, I wish I would have been here you know, weeks ago when you guys talked about the plagues and uh, the parting of the Red Sea and all that was great, it's God's word, but this is good. I mean, this section, I think more than any, points to Christ. And I pray you see that with me this morning. But let me review. Um, we're, we're in the tabernacle, uh, we're, we're getting instruction on what to make and where it's going to be. I'm going to have in your handout next week a really cool picture of the tabernacle, um, and you'll see all the furnishings. But you did get a picture this week. You got the lampstand, which I hope that's helpful. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to talk about the Ark of the Covenant and the table for bread, the first two items that are to be made and placed in the tabernacle. So let's step back. The, the purpose of the tabernacle, right, which was a large rectangular tent, was for God to dwell with his rescued people. And the first item we looked at was the Ark of the Covenant, a golden chest that contained the law of God, the Word, and functioned simultaneously as God's throne. 
It was God's throne. It was where God would rule visibly over his people as king. But it wasn't just his throne. It was also the place of atonement, of reconciliation. The Ark of the Covenant was where the blood of the sacrifice would be sprinkled on the Day of Atonement to make atonement or atonement for God's people. The Ark served as a reminder that sacrifice was necessary for God to rule over his people by his word. And again, that's the purpose, right? God means to rule over his people by his word through sacrifice. And as we saw with the table for bread last week, God desires to be with and provide for his people. I tied my record last night. Ten rolls. Ten rolls. What are you talking about? Texas Roadhouse. Ten rolls. I'm going for a dozen next time. But again, you know, bread sustains, it's satisfied, and so God instructs them to make a table for bread, and the bread was to satisfy God's people to provide for their needs, and also just to symbolize that God provides for his people. He gives them what they need to sustain them. In fact, when we get to the Gospel of John, and if you come back tonight for the Lord's Supper, I'm going to be in John 6, 35. But when we get to the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus intentionally reference the Exodus by referring to himself as the bread of life. As the bread of life, Jesus came to provide for our greatest need. Jesus came to be with us. So that's the Ark of the Covenant. That's the table for bread, what they symbolize, what they mean, what they point to. Now we're going to talk about the golden lampstand, and we're going to use the same four questions that we've looked at the past two weeks. We're going to apply those same four questions to the golden lampstand. What is it? What is its purpose? What does this golden lampstand teach us about God? And finally, number four, how does it point to Jesus and the gospel? All right, so the golden lampstand. Are you ready? Here we go. What is it? Again, here we come to the third item to be housed in the tabernacle, and more specifically in the holy place, directly across from the table for bread. And what is it? It is a golden lampstand. And like most of the furnishings in the tabernacle, it too is made of what? It's made of gold. It's a golden lampstand. In fact, the whole lampstand, along with its utensils, is hammered out of one solid piece of gold weighing about 75 pounds. So I gave you a picture. Um, I hope that's helpful. There was one central stem that was connected to a base, and it went up. And from the central stem, there were six branches, three on either side. The lampstand, and we're going to come back to this, was to resemble an almond tree in blossom. Okay, So it was to look like it was to resemble an almond tree in blossom. At the end of each branch was a golden cup for holding the seven lamps. Seven being the number of perfection. It's a golden lampstand. Now, it's beautiful, but like all the furnishings in the tabernacle, it served a purpose. Not just to wow and impress, but it served a purpose. So what is its purpose? Leviticus 24 is helpful once again. We saw this last week with the table for bread. So I'm going to come to Leviticus 24, 1-4. You can turn there if you'd like. Leviticus 24, 1-4. Again, this is the second question. What is its purpose? 
the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light, and this is really important if you underline in your Bibles, I would underline this, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meaning, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord, and there's the word again, regularly. Tamiv in Hebrew. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Verse 4, he shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord, same word, third time, regularly. Tamiv. Now, the most basic purpose of a lamp is to do what? It gives light. Ministry happened in the holy place, right? So the tabernacle, and then inside the tabernacle you had the holy place, and the most holy place, the most holy place had one piece of furniture, it was the Ark of the Covenant, the holy place had a few more, the the most holy place could only be entered once a year by one person, the high priest, but regular daily ministry happened in the holy place, and in order to do ministry you got to be able to what? You got to be able to see, so... There was a practical purpose for the lamp. It enabled the priest to see. That's obvious. But what other purposes did the golden lampstand serve? Notice the same word we saw last week in relation to the table for bread. What is it? It's the word regularly. Tamiv. It means regularly or continually. And it's used three times in Leviticus 24, 1-4. These lamps were to be lit, and they were to be kept burning continually, both night and daytime. But why? Now we're moving beyond mere practicality. So what other purpose or purposes did the golden lampstand serve? I want to argue for four main purposes. This is going to be really helpful and really cool. I'm excited about this. The golden lampstand was meant to communicate four glorious truths. A, B, C, and D. Are you ready? Here we go. A, God's presence. I think that's the most obvious. God's presence. Light and fire, as we've seen already in the book of Exodus, are indicative of God's presence. When God shows up visibly, it's in the context of light or fire. When God makes himself known, we call this what? A theophany. When God visibly reveals himself, he does it in the context of fire and or light. Recall the burning bush from Exodus 3. The pillar of fire by night, Exodus 13. And the fiery presence of God on top of Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. So the purpose of the golden lampstand, which was to be kept burning how often? Continually. Tamiv was to convey God's continual presence with his people. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm with you. That was the purpose. (laughs) The lampstand, again, it's beautiful. We'll talk about the beauty in a minute. But the fact that it was to be kept burning continually conveyed a message. God is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you always. Isn't that encouraging? Why does God give his people those reminders? Do they deserve those reminders? No, we call that what? When you get what you don't deserve. It's grace. These reminders were God's grace. This was a visible reminder from God that, hey, I'm with you guys. I'm with you. 
B, it conveyed God's holiness. God's holiness. So not only did light and fire represent God's presence, but more specifically his, what kind of presence? His holy presence. Remember, the golden lampstand was housed in the holy place. Now, wherever God dwells, that place is what? It's holy. Recall Exodus 3 with the burning bush. What does God tell Moses? Take off your sandals because the ground upon which you are standing is it's holy because God was there. His presence was manifested there, making that place, marking that place as holy. So the golden lampstand, like the holy bread, was a reminder of God's holiness and thus a call for God's people to be what? Holy. So God is holy, therefore he calls his people to be holy. All right, so again, four glorious truths conveyed Symbolized by the golden lampstand, number one, God's presence. Number two, God's holiness. Number three, see, God is creator. Oh, God is creator. Light, the mention of light was an intentional echo from Genesis 1, which is the story of creation. There we read in Genesis 1-3, as God launches his creation project, let there be what? Let there be light. The golden, this is so good. The golden lampstand was thus a reminder of God as creator, both of the cosmos and of his covenant people, Israel. You know, the fact that God is creator means ownership. What God makes, he owns. Amen? I mean, we all belong to God because he made us. Look around. That is a common denominator for humanity. We're made by God, therefore we're owned by God. We're his. But if you're rescued by God, you're doubly owned. And you know, Israel could relate to God both as he's our creator, but he's also our savior. So they were doubly owned by God. Isn't that cool? God's presence, the presence of the creator, was a place of brilliant light. Darkness has no place in God's presence. Mankind is in desperate need of his light, his truth, his life. His presence means light for his people. Especially when we take into account the presence of the law in the most holy place housed in the Ark of the Covenant. God as light. God as light means to guide and direct his people with his what? His word. So, God's presence, A. God's holiness, B. C. God is creator. Number four, God's gift of life. Now, this is really sweet. All right, now pay attention here. The golden lampstand was made to resemble what? An almond tree in blossom, which most likely symbolized the tree of life from the Garden of Eden. Oh, okay. Let's, you're like, okay, what, what does that mean? What's so oh about that? We'll see more of this next week, okay? The, the tabernacle itself was to function as a portable garden of Eden. The exodus, now, what was the purpose of the exodus? The exodus was God's rescue mission to bring his people back into the garden of Eden, to bring them back into his presence, which was forfeited at the fall. What the garden symbolized was life 
with God. And what the tree of life symbolized was God's gift of eternal life. What this communicated was that eternal life is found alone, everybody say alone, or solely in God's presence, in fellowship with God. He is the source of eternal life. There is no life outside of Him. He alone is the source and provider of this life. We're to think of the tabernacle and its items as... Again, this is grace. This is grace. The invisible God making Himself visible. We are to think of the tabernacle, which could be seen and touched, and there was smells that appealed to all the senses. We'll talk about that later with the incense. But we're to think of the tabernacle and all the items within the tabernacle as beautiful reminders for God's people. This was one of their primary purposes. Everything in the tabernacle is intentionally symbolic. Recall what was on top of the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. Two golden cherubim, right? These angelic-like figures. And if you read the Bible, you read where we have visions of heaven, what creatures are often in God's presence? These cherubim. And the cherubim, after the fall, were placed directly in front of the entrance to the Garden of Eden, protecting God's holy, sacred place. The cherubim atop of the ark, right, found within the most holy place, within the tabernacle, what did that say about God and His place? What did that say about the purpose of the tabernacle? This is the place where God would rule as king over His people. It was a place of worship. It was a holy place, a place of revelation. Again, just those two golden cherubim conveyed those truths, amen? This is a holy place, a place of worship, a place where God is revealed and to be recognized as king. So let's put it all together. Again, what was the purpose? The four glorious truths, God's presence, God's holiness, God as creator, God's gift of life. The purpose of the golden lampstand was to remind Israel of God's continual presence. It was to remind Israel of God's holiness, and they're called to be what? Holy. It was a reminder of God as creator, and not only as the source of light, but the light that gives life. And lastly, the golden lampstand was a reminder of God's gift of life, a gift that can only be found in fellowship with Him. Now, why is that important? Because what's going to happen? Israel is soon going to find themselves surrounded by pagan nations, right? And they're going to offer alternate means of life. But what do those paths actually lead to? Death, right? These pagan gods are going to woo Israel away from God. There's going to be temptation, but God is reminding them via the tabernacle that life is found only in fellowship with me. Don't look anywhere else. Don't we need the same reminder? The world around us is constantly wooing us, offering these tantalizing promises that can't pay out. But again, we need to be reminded that life alone is found in Christ. There is no life apart from Jesus. Amen? Number three, what does the golden lampstand teach us about God? So we've answered the question, what is it? What's its purpose? Now number three, what does the golden lampstand teach us about God? Now, 
Questions two and three are closely related. The purpose of the golden lampstand is to remind us of God's truth, His character, and His plan for His people. And these points under question three are going to be very similar to what we just saw under question two. For each of these points, okay, so we're asking the question, what does the golden lampstand teach us about God? For each of those points, I want to provide an action step. Okay, so here's what we learn about God. Here's what we do with it. So this should be very practical, okay? Here's what the golden lampstand teaches us about God. Cool. Praise God. But here's what you do with it. Okay. So action's required. So A, God is with his people. Isn't that a glorious truth? God is with us? How often was the candlestick or the lamps to be lit? How long were they to burn? How often? Continually, which conveyed what? God's continual presence. So again, God is with his people. Here's the action step. Enjoy and rest in his presence. Enjoy and rest in his presence. I hope that's happening right now. As we gather, the Spirit fills this gathering. I hope you enjoy it, singing God's truth, hearing God's truth, resting in the gospel that we declare together, Jesus and Jesus alone can save sinners like us. Amen? B, God is holy and demands holiness. What's the action step there? God is holy and demands holiness. Be holy. Be set apart. Take an inventory of your life and and ask yourself, is Jesus as king ruling over every aspect of my life? Or are there things that I've kind of said, you know, that's hands off, God. That's mine. I'm going to do what I want to with my Saturday, even my Sunday morning. No, as Christians, we're called to be holy because he's holy. Amen? We're called to be set apart. We're called to give him everything to submit our lives to him. And that brings us to see. Number three, God is the creator of his people, so give him your life. Again, this idea of God as creator, it denotes ownership. God owns us because he made us. And so God is good. He's a good king. He's a good Lord. He rules over his people. We give him our allegiance. We give him our lives. That is the proper response to the gospel. That's what Paul's all about in Romans. Romans 1 to 12, here's what the gospel is. I'm sorry, Romans 1 to 11, here's what the gospel is, 12 to 16, here's our response to the gospel, we give him our lives. We present our lives to him as a living sacrifice. D, God is light, and what does light do? It illuminates, it shows us the way. Here's the practice step, look to his word for guidance. Where are you looking for guidance today, for wisdom? Are you looking to the world, are you looking to yourself, are you looking to others? God is light, so look to his word for guidance. And then finally, E, God is the source of eternal life. So what? So what? Come to him for eternal life. This was a constant reminder. This golden lampstand that was to be lit continually was a reminder that God alone is the source of life. He's the source of light. If you wish to no longer walk in darkness, come to the light. If you wish to have life, come to God. Enjoy fellowship with Him. So God is the source of eternal life. Come to Him for eternal life. And we'll talk more about that with our next question, which is, how does it, the golden lampstand, point to Jesus and the good news, the gospel? One point here. Jesus is the light of the world. 
All right, I, I bet no one in here has heard this before. That could be a bad thing. It could be a good thing. We're in John 7. What's happening in John 7, John scholars? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the Feast of Booths. Can you say booths? It's a tough word to say for me. I don't know why. This was a week-long celebration, okay? This was one of the great feasts of Israel, of the Jews. Josephus said it was probably the most popular, the most well-known. For a whole week, God's people would commemorate the Exodus, God's provision, his rescue. And they would actually make these little tents, these mini tabernacles, and they would reside in them for a whole week as they're celebrating. And here's what's really cool. On the final day, this would be the climax or the crescendo of the feast. There would be two ceremonies, a water-pouring ceremony and a torch-lighting ceremony. I bet you didn't know that. Now, why is that significant? So this feast, 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 booths, this feast of tabernacles or booths, man, that's a hard word. Some words are really hard to say. That's one of them for me. Week-long celebration, looking back. Got it? Week-long celebration, hanging out in tents, looking back, celebrating God's faithful provision during the Exodus. And what would happen at the end? There'd be a water-pouring ceremony and a torch-lighting ceremony. Okay, you got that in mind? We're at the end of the celebration now. It's the final day, and we... Reading John 7, 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, which, what happened on the last day? Two ceremonies, water pouring and torch lighting. All right, we got that. Got, keep that in mind. On the last day of the feast, oh, this is so good. The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's remarkable. Why is that important? Again, think the, the crescendo, the climax of the feast. Again, a feast, a week of feasting. I can get into that, okay? A week of feasting, looking back to God's rescue, his provision during the Exodus. And it ends with this water pouring ceremony. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me. I'll satisfy you. I'll give you life. Jesus claims to be the life-giving water. A reference to God's provision during the Exodus, specifically Exodus 17, where water was provided from a, a rock. And then shortly after that, you're like, oh, that's good, man. I mean, Jesus is taking advantage of this. He's saying, everything you're doing points to me. I'm the fulfillment I mean, the exodus was good, but I'm here to bring about a better exodus. I'm here to rescue you forever. And then what does he say in John 8, 12? Now, this will rock your world. Again, two ceremonies at the end of the feast. Water pouring out, lighting a what? A torch. And what does Jesus say at the end of the ceremony, John 8, 12? I'm the light of the world. Whoa! <laughs> I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is incredible. Here's what that means. You're not as excited as I am, but that's okay. 
what the golden lampstand pointed to had arrived in Jesus. The life-giving presence of God. The light of the world, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is claiming here to be what the burning lamp pointed to, the very life-giving presence of God. The one to bring spiritual light to our spiritual darkness. And all God's people said, Amen. Let me do a better job here of making the point. Every furnishing in the tabernacle, and of course the tabernacle itself, points to who? It points to Jesus, right? So let me just show you how this works. Christ is the Ark of the Covenant, meaning He's the embodied Word, the place where God rules, the place of sacrifice. Amen? Jesus is the table for bread, meaning He represents God's most glorious presence and His generous provision. He's the place of fellowship with God. That's what the table stood for, right? Fellowship. Jesus is the place of fellowship with God. Who wants fellowship with God? I do. That's found only in Jesus. He's what satisfies our souls forever when we take Him in by faith. And furthermore, Jesus is the golden lampstand, meaning He's the light that breaks through the darkness. The light that illuminates our hearts and minds to the good news of God. The light that gives eternal life to our souls. And again, all God's people said, Amen. Um, I kind of went back and forth on this last part, but this will be a nice preview for next week because next week we're going to step back and look at the tabernacle as a whole. The tabernacle is illustrative of God's saving plan. It really is. It illustrates God's saving plan beautifully. And as we're going to see in the weeks ahead, and really next week especially, the tabernacle, the design intentionally mirrors the Garden of Eden. It represents God's dwelling place with His people. And more than that, it points ahead to the one who would make God dwelling with His people eternally possible. And who's that? Who makes God dwelling with His people eternally possible? Jesus. So what we see from Genesis to Revelation is that God desires to dwell with His people in fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. That's a really important theme. God fellowshipping with His people. We see this in the Garden of Eden. We see it in the Exodus with Israel. We're seeing it with the tabernacle. And we see it also in the New Testament in the Gospels with Jesus, the church, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, this is how our story ends in Revelation 21. God dwelling with His people in the new creation. Amen? Now, I love biblical theology. Biblical theology is this idea that the Bible is one big story. And there are certain themes that God uses throughout Scripture to tell this story, right? And so I want to look at the theme of fellowship. I mean, we were made for fellowship with God. Amen? But that was forfeited in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were kicked out. And I mean, all of us, look around. Were any of us born in the Garden of Eden? No, we were born outside of fellowship with God. Therefore, we need what? We need fellowship with God. It doesn't come naturally. It's not our right. But it was one for us, amen? We'll talk about that. But a few things we need to notice when we trace this theme of fellowship 
from Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to tell you the whole Bible in two minutes, okay? Using this theme. The whole Bible. The whole thing. Everybody say a people. Okay, you don't have to keep repeating. That'll, that'll get crazy. It'll be a cacophony. Of, uh, I'll say it. A people is the first thing we see. A people. God as king ruling over this people. God's desire for fellowship and the need for sacrifice to make this fellowship possible. So a people, God ruling as king, fellowship, and sacrifice being necessary for this fellowship to happen. Got it? Those are the four things. All right, let's start with Eden. Eden, Exodus, Christ, Revelation 21. And then we'll go home. Not yet. Almost. Eden. Eden, who are the people in Eden? God makes the first two humans. Adam and Eve. All right. God gives them his word. Be fruitful. Don't eat. Be fruitful, multiply, spread my glory, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you do, you'll die. God walks with them in the garden. There's the fellowship. And after they disobey God's word, which we know they do, we have the promise of rescue through sacrifice. Genesis 3.15. Eve's seed, so there's going to come offspring from Eve that is going to crush the head of the serpent, but... His heel's going to be struck. So it's a picture of rescue through sacrifice. And if that wasn't clear enough, if you go a few verses forward, verse 21, God provides animal skins for Adam and Eve to cover them. But in order for those animal skins to be provided, animals had to what? They had to die. And then we come to the Exodus. Oh, that's where we're at. Who's the people? Israel, God's covenant people. God gives them his word, his law, the ten what? The ten commandments. God tabernacles amongst them. That is his presence, right? He means to fellowship with them. But of course, what is necessary? The sacrificial system. Animals must die in place of God's sinful people. All right, now we come to Christ. How am I doing on time? 30 seconds left, okay. Christ in his spirit-filled church. The church comes alive, right? Through faith in the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the church is ruled over by God's Word. Remember the Great Commission. What did Jesus say? Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And the Spirit dwells within the church. Jesus promises to be with us by the Holy Spirit. All right, now Revelation 21. Here we go. We're going to come back to the golden lampstand. Revelation 21. Again, a people, God ruling as king, fellowship, but in order for there to be fellowship, sacrifice. All the redeemed in Christ dwelling in God's heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, in the glorious presence of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Then we will see him face to face. And how is our future dwelling place described? A bright city. A lighted city. Check out Revelation 21, 23. I should have put this in your notes. I don't think I did. Did I? It's not there. All right. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. Why? For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Wow. Whose future is this? Whose future is this? Who will dwell in this city in the light of Christ in perfect fellowship with God? Who? 
Those who trust in Jesus. Amen? Those who trust in Jesus. The question hanging in the air right now is, do you trust in Him? Do you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you asked Him to forgive you? Have you acknowledged that I'm not King, Jesus, you are? I can do nothing to save myself. You did it all through your perfect life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection from the dead. Is Jesus your Lord, your Savior, your King? Let me talk about the way home. (laughs) We love going home, don't we? Been away for a while, maybe a business trip, even a vacation. I mean, after day seven, I'm like, I'm ready to go home, right? That's a long vacation. So let's go back 150 years. (laughs) And I want you to imagine that you've been away from home for a very long time. But you're going back. You're traveling by foot. It's dark. You're nearing home, but man, there's, there's no stars in the sky that night. At least, I mean, there are, but they're not visible. There's cloud cover. You can't see the moon. You're walking in the dark. You're making your way through a thick forest. Can you see it? It's frustrating, right? Then all of a sudden, you enter a clearing, and this is a familiar clearing, and the clearing rises to a hill, and on top of the hill, you see a light. A lamp in the window meant to guide you home, meant to show you the way. How do you feel now? (sighs) Home, right? I'm there. Tim Chester writes, the lamp, he's talking about the golden lampstand. The lampstand may resemble the tree of life, which we talked about, but he says, it's still a lamp. It provides light in God's new home. God's prototype of home is a place of both light and life. We long for home. Would you agree with that statement? We long for home. That desire is built into humanity. The golden lampstand declares that humanity's true home is with God, in the presence of God. Again, we long for home, and that longing is only met in the person of Jesus Christ, who declares himself to be the way and the truth, and the life. As Augustine wrote, and I put this in your handout, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So come to Jesus. Come home. Come to the light. Come to the light for life, eternal life. Here's the irony of the good news. Jesus left home to bring us home. Right? I mean, Jesus left his home. He left heavenly glory to come to a broken world, to die, look around, for sinners like us, so that by trusting in him, we could go home. And where's home? Home is in the presence of God. Amen? I love that quote by Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Man, come home. Come to Jesus. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. Enjoy fellowship with Him. There is no life outside of Jesus. Come home. Let's pray. Jesus, You are home. I think of Your words to the disciples in John 14. You've made it clear that You're about to depart But you tell them that you're going to prepare a place for them, a home, so that they can be with you, so that where you are, they can be also, we can be also. We thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us to be at home 
in the presence of God, that you left home to bring us home. And Father, we know that in order for that to happen, your son not only had to live a perfect life, but die a horrible death in our place. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice this morning. I pray that our response to your sacrifice would be trust and faith, that we would embrace you as king and follow you, and that we would declare to the world around us that life, eternal life, is found in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would take what we heard from your word, apply it to our hearts, change us, make us more like your son for your glory and our good and our joy. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.